Hello and welcome to Where Do We Begin? I'm Jason Waterhouse. I'm from the Sydney Northern Beaches. I'm a professional sailor who is qualified for the Tokyo Olympics and I'll be heading off there in two months' time to bring home a gold medal. Thanks for that, Jason. My name is Harper. My co-host on this lovely, lovely day goes by the name of Lockie. How are you, Lockie? I'm good, thanks, Harps. I'm feeling a bit dirty with the amount of puns that we used in the first 15 seconds of the interview, but I've, uh, I've cleaned myself up and I can promise I can put a disclaimer out there that they're the only ones throughout the uh, the episode. How are you today, Harps? I'm awesome and I'm even better uh, for the fact that we just finished the interview with Jason Waterhouse. Incredible uh, athlete, incredible story, really. He, there was some like really kind of confronting, I think it's fair to say, uh, stories about his uh, kind of journeys on the high seas. Lockie, you want to tell us a bit more about it just quickly? Oh, mate, I, I don't want to uh, go too far, but I will say that it uh, makes Pirates of the Caribbean pale in comparison. <laughs> there certainly does. Uh, but I reckon we should just get into it because there's heaps of interesting stuff, as we said uh, in this episode, which you can talk about on Twitter or wherever with the hashtag WDWBOlympics. Let's dive in. Now, I hope you listeners are just as excited to get into this one as Lockie and I are because we've been looking forward to this for a long time now. Our guest today is an incredible athlete, really. He won Olympic silver in Rio 2016, and I can tell you, I can assure you, he'll be Jason Gold when he goes sailing in Tokyo. His Instagram bio says the ocean is his office, and he might even claim that the water is his house. So I'd like to give a big where do we begin welcome to the show to Jason Waterhouse. How are you, Jason? I'm well, thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're absolutely stoked to have you on, Jason. Obviously, Waterhouse is a name that's quite associated with our racing, but it is growing ever more popular in the uh, the sailing world. And I think you spend most of your life on the water, but obviously, at the moment, you're not. You're stuck in quarantine. How's that going for you? Yeah, the Waterhouse name kind of works, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in quarantine here in Sydney. I've only got four days to, four days to go. Tell you what, I'm ready for some fresh air, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's all right. Just making the best of it and um, just working out and trying to st- keep busy. Yeah, yeah, sweet. So something that uh, we've had some pretty obscure sports in this Olympic series. I think we're up to our fifth, sixth episode now. I had a bit of taekwondo, all kinds of things really. But sailing is something that we never thought we'd have a guest on to talk about uh, on where do we begin here. So can you explain a bit about your sport and your, your event specifically? Is it the NACRA 17 that you'll be racing in? Yeah, that's correct. So um, I sail, it's actually a mixed gender class. So it's a two-person boat and has to be a male and a female on board. Um, it's the fastest Olympic class in sailing. We um, do something called hydrofoiling. It's a big craze going around the world now with all ocean sports. Um, and it's a to, to describe the event, is like um, a circuit that you go around each day. Um, you do probably three races each day and then you accumulate points so a bit like golf over a couple of days or a couple of rounds you accumulate points and whoever has the lowest points wins yeah unreal and i guess what sort of made you decide to go down the path of that event in particular um that event in particular i just enjoy going fast and being on the limit um and it being the quickest olympic class and um and pretty gnarly um you know that's one of the reasons as well and also you know, to sail with my, um, you know, female crew, who is also my cousin, it was one of the few classes that you can do that with. So um, that was one of the reasons in particular I chose that class. So how, how fast are you going? How many k's an hour do you reckon you're hitting at your peak in a sailing race? Yeah, good question. Um, so on the Olympic class, around 60 k's an hour. Um, 
which doesn't sound like a lot, but you've got to imagine like we're, we're something called trapezing off the boat, which is, you know, standing, um, almost horizontally against the boat. Um, so if you're like standing out of your car, um, holding a rope above your head, attached to the top of the car roof and then just leaning out as far as you can. So, um, yeah, a lot of G forces around the corners and, um, when the ocean hits you doing 60 Ks an hour, it's not, not very pleasant. Oh, 60k is sharp. I think anybody that's been on a boat or jet ski and they've seen that like they're hitting 60 on that, you feel the wind in your face and the fact that you're on the side, it must be really difficult. Does that quite challenge your core strength? Is that sort of what goes on? Yeah, particularly for our class, it's more the core strength and also the load. You know, the faster you go, the more, like you were saying in a car, apparent wind speed you create. So um, that makes the sails more loaded and then when we're pulling those, um, it's quite heavy. Yeah, and what's it what's it like to um compete with your cousin? You touched on it before that you're actually the person on the boat with you is your cousin. How's that? How does that go? Because I don't know how I'd go. Um, I guess competing with my sister or cousins. I think the family ties might make it a bit difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think that, but in saying that, it actually makes it a lot easier. You know, there's a lot of trust there, and um, you know, it's not just we're sailing together once every four years. You know, we're we've dedicated our lives. We're training five days a week. Um, every week of the year for now we've been sailing together since 2007 so I think with being family you know there's a lot of like I was saying trust but also the commitment um, and Lisa she's super hardworking and 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 she loves she sets a very high standard for herself uh, which I do as well and we both know that we're putting in 100 100%. Yeah, and I guess the fact that you said you started um, competing in 2007, that's almost like that's 14 years ago now. Obviously, team chemistry is so important in all team sports, including sailing. Is the fact that you guys have sailed together for um, so long really helpful in that you must know each each other's tendencies and must really help when you're in the race? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, anyone can sail a boat just like anyone can dribble a soccer ball or throw a cricket ball. But it's when you're under pressure and those high-intensity moments, that's when you know those strong relationships and all that training really pays off. Yeah, so and uh, I think you what you would have been 16, 15 when you started uh, started racing with her, started teaming up with her. But uh, I think you, uh, by all reports, you got into sailing when you kind of went on a big sailing trip around the world when you were like four years old. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, so I, you know my my family, how I got into sailing, they're they're massive um, racers and and always have been sailors. My grandparents and my parents are world champions. Um, so, you know, when we, we also did something called cruising. So instead of being on a caravan, we, we bought a yacht and we sailed from San Diego to Australia. And then we did that again, except from Europe to Australia and lived on a boat for about four years, um, you know, just cruising around the, around the planet, which is amazing. You know, you can go to the most remote places where you know, no one, no one sees the local inhabitants or untouched sceneries. It's, it's been, you know, I'm really lucky. It's been a really cool experience. Any particularly uh, great memories from that time, particularly amazing uh, kind of scenic routes that you took or amazing places <laughs> that you went to? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, I mean, not there was plenty of adventure. I mean, we had pirate encounters, hurricane encounters, um, you know, plenty going on. But in terms of the, the best places, you know, the Galapagos Islands are, are amazing um, place to be obvious, for obvious reasons. And also the adults in the Pacific and somewhere called the Two Motos where – it's just a, a ring of reef in the middle of the ocean with no one there except for local um, pearl divers um, who, you know, might have an inhabitant of four or five people and you, it's just untouched. You don't see another person and you're on the ocean for three weeks without touching the ground sometimes. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite surreal really. Oh, that's crazy, especially at a young age. I don't know about you, Haas, but I don't even know if I was old enough at that age to go to the football, let alone sail around <laughs> the world. I think I would have cried a bit too many times. But 
I don't, we can't just, just go over there. So pirates, you had pirate encounters, like Jack Sparrow. Like, what was that like? That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, when you think of Jack Sparrow as pirates, I think now the public, since Pirates of the Caribbean movies has come out to see pirate as go lucky, you know, friendly people who just, you know, have sword fights. But I can guarantee it's the complete opposite. It's life and death. Um, you know, people who are very poor, you know, in, in having a real tough life who are trying to make something of it and they go into piracy. Um it's scary. It's scary as hell. Um, and there's certain areas I don't want to scare anyone from doing this and, and going and doing these traveling, but there are certain areas in the world that you have to avoid and be very careful. Um, we were just unfortunate. We got in a situation where the boat had to be repaired, we had damage, and we had to sail it um, close to the land, which we didn't want to, but, you know, the boat was literally sinking, so we didn't have a choice. And, yeah, it was scary. Um, I'm just really lucky my parents made some smart decisions and kept us from, you know, being captured or aborted. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a memory. That's for sure. Good story. <laughs> if you're happy to talk about further, can you talk us through, like, the kind of specific details of this pirate encounter that you experienced? Because it, yeah, it just sounds like something out of a movie, really. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, if any of those that people have seen the movie of Tom Hanks, Captain Phillips, it's a bit like that in terms of, the pirates are, you know, poor, generally poor fishermen who are struggling and then they, um, you know, they see a vessel or a boat that they, you know, they can easily board. And obviously we were on a sailing boat, so if they have an outboard engine, it's easy for them to catch the boats. And back in 2003, which which is when we are going past, um, we just left Panama, just sailed through the Panama Canal on our way to the Galapagos Islands and we had an issue with the fuel intake um, and the water intake to cool the engine was flooding the boat. Um, so we had to deviate and we were going to go to Ecuador for repairs, but you have to start past Colombia. And at the time, Colombia was in a pretty bad, pretty bad shape, um, um, economically. So yeah, we had to sail, um, quite close to the land. And, um, unfortunately we were sort of within that pirate bandwidth area and yeah, um, just one night, just had an encounter with one of the fishermen trying to get on board. And, um, my sister and I were quite young at the time we had a safety hole that we, we just went into like, sort of like a safe, safe room. Um, but my parents managed to keep the boat quite quick and, and hard for people to, to board the boat and, 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 you know, from there. So it was scary, a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, um, a lot of contact between the two vessels, but we were lucky to get away from it unscathed. Yeah, mate, that is absolutely crazy. And I think any uh, sort of pirate encounters would have you well prepared for any of the training that you have for the Olympics. And this is something <laughs> I'm really, in, really interested in. And I'm sure you're not fighting off pirates from your boat in your event, but I'm interested to know um, what is the training regime like for, for sailing in terms of like the workouts and I guess how much time you spend on the water and the gym and yeah. Mm. Yeah, so the two roles on my boat being a double-handed boat are quite different. So I'm the skipper. Um, so which would essentially mean I'm, you know, I'm the driver, I'm the one making the decisions, um, you know, steering the car around the corner, sort of, you know, um, choosing when to overtake, stuff like that. Whereas Lisa, my crew, she's actually the, she's the engine, she's the workhorse on the boat. Who, so our training regimes are quite different. Hers is very physical. Like she's in the gym six days a week, um, you know, a lot of lifting, power lifting and, and staying obviously cardiovascular fit as well. Whereas I don't have to be as strong, might my uh, role, I kind of need to be a bit lighter so she can carry more, more of the muscle mass. Um, and yeah, more mine's more mental training um, to make sure that when we get in those racing situations, I can make, you know, the best tactical and strategic decisions. How, how do you do the kind of mental training though? Just in like, can you do it from home or what, what goes into it? Um, a lot of studying, um, like past races and um, data and leaks um, of previous races. Um, 
you can't do a lot of simulator work. But in saying that, I don't just do Olympic sailing. I do a lot of other types of professional sailing around the world. And that also, you know, gets me thinking differently, keeps me, um, you know, in those high pressure, puts me in those high pressure situations so that when I get into those during the Olympics, it kind of feels normal. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I stay fit. Sometimes some days are easier than others. Um, but yeah. So have you had a crack at um, your cousin's role in terms of being the engine or you've always sort of been, like, I guess, the captain of the sailing ship? Yeah, oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, we do sometimes a bit of role swapping just so, you know, although we're doing different roles, we're kind of working together. So a lot of it's timing, communication. So it is good to sometimes switch the role to understand what that what your partner's feeling on the boat so you can maybe perhaps make their job easier and in turn make your, you know, overall performance better. Yeah, so... I'm guessing from what it sounds like, it's a full-time job for you. You don't have anything going on on the side? Uh, yeah, so no, I don't I don't have any work or um, I, I, mean, I do do other professional sailing, like I said earlier. But, you know, when we are back in Sydney, um, we're doing – we treat it like a full-time job. So it's, you know, eight till five every day, um, probably four days on the water, probably another day doing um, boat work. They need a lot of upkeep or um, meeting logistics planning. Um, we have – three or four boats at any one time somewhere around the world in circulation. Um, we can't sail. We don't sail our boat from Australia to Japan <laughs> and compete. We actually ship ship them um, over there and then compete. Um, so, yeah, just that in itself is quite hard with the campaign um, logistics. But, yeah, other than that, if you want to win a gold medal, I'm convinced that any sport, it's got to be full-time. Yeah, I'm just imagining you though. Imagine if you did have to sail there in your little in your foil boat from Australia to Japan. I don't I don't know how it would go in those in those rough seas. And and you touched on it before how you also you sail professionally. And if I'm correct, as a mem- as a member of Australia's GP team. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so I'm, at the moment I'm just running two projects, which is the Olympics and the Australian Star GP team. Um, and yeah, but the you know, the last in the last campaign during Rio, I was also in the America's Cup, signing for Japan. And then, you know, earlier than that, I was doing, you know, Extreme 40s or the GC32 circuit. So I've always got something else, um, you know, helping pay the bills on the side as well. And Yeah, so this GP team, is it like Grand Prix, obviously, but is this like the kind of biggest thing in sailing? What's what's the team all about, really? Yeah, I guess it's it's a a circuit that, you know, travels around the world. So we just had an event in Bermuda, um, unfortunately, I just missed the event in Italy, in Italy um, cause I'm stuck here in quarantine. Um, and I will miss the British event as well cause I'll be at the Olympics, but it's a traveling circuit that goes around, um, you know, eight countries around the world. Also there's eight different teams, um, of, and it's just nation versus nation. So it's five Australians on board our boat versus five, you know, five British on the other or Danish or Japanese. Um, and then there's a final, uh, which will be in San Francisco in May and then, they're all on the same identical boat and those are the fastest racing boats in the world. They, they hit a hundred kilometers an hour. Um, wow. And in the final in San Francisco is a final event and you race for a million dollars. So, um, good, good, uh, good pressure practice there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're number eight in the world at the moment, I believe, uh, or in the, in the, um, NACRA 17 at least, I think. So has, uh, kind of, this whole COVID situation, obviously, and Australia's such strict uh, border controls, has that affected your ranking and kind of made you lower than where you actually deserve to be? Yeah, the world ranking, you don't. Um, it sounds a bit strange, but you don't actually take any really consideration um, because it's, it, it calculates the amount of events you've done in the last 12 months, um, not necessarily your position in the world championships. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, being Australian, we weren't able to compete in any events in Europe last year. So that's why our ranking's so low. But in the last two world championships, we've just, the most recent two world championships we had before COVID, we placed third uh, third in, in New Zealand in 2019, then third also in Australia in 2020. So we're around about that third range. Um, and that was for the Olympic selection as well. So, but we're confident for the gold, you know, when I, you know, we won silver last time and that was great, but it wasn't what we wanted. Um, so in Japan, we're aiming for the gold medal. Yeah, I was going to say your 2018, 2019 and 2024 was absolutely exceptional. I think looking at it, I think you won four out of five events in 2018. And like you said, you performed strongly in the 2019 World Championships as well as in 2020 in Geelong. How, how much confidence do you take out of that, your recent good form heading into the Olympics? I think it would have been a lot more... Um, it would have been a lot more, you know, of a confidence builder if the Olympics were on schedule back in 2020. I think with the changes we've had now with COVID and the 12 month delay, um, you know, initially I, I had a feeling it, it would benefit us. And then uh, as Europe started to get, you know, improve their, their COVID climate started to improve and they've now traveled freely and compete and ours hasn't really buzzed since then. Uh, I think it's actually hindered us. So, you know, it's, it is what it is, unfortunately. Like it's, you know, I'm, I've got no complaints about what, how the government's, you know, reacting to it, COVID, you know, they're the bosses and, and they're doing what they think is best for us, um, which is totally fair. Um, but in terms of our preparation, you know, I'm just working, you know, Lisa and I are both working within the bounds we have, the constraints we have. So um, we will make the best of it, whether, you know, it will affect us probably, but I, I don't know if, if it will be for the better or worse. So what are the things that do you reckon can lift you up to gold from like obviously having the good form prior to COVID hitting, uh, mm. winning silver in uh, 2016 in Rio, well, what's going to mm. lift you up to reach gold this time around? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, we, we haven't taken the foot off the gas. The difference is though is instead of, you know, going overseas six months of the year and competing and doing lots of competitions to test if our training is effective, we haven't been able to test it. So we haven't been able to validate our training um, against the international world, which is a hard part. So, you know, you've got to trust your, your what you're doing in Australia and our training um, is the right step. We have done a quick trip to Spain just to check in really quickly. Um, and, you know, it did go well. Um, but, you know, these next four weeks are going to be really critical. Um, and and another thing is is the Olympics, they're a whole other kettle of fish. Um, I mean, I'm lucky I've done one of them, but it's amazing seeing athletes perform differently under pressure. And there's nothing like pressure than Olympic to test your, to test your, you know, your mental stamina than the Olympic games when the whole world's watching. Yeah. And I can imagine that particularly in your role in the team that you really need, I guess, have to be like race fit in the terms of the fact that a lot of your role is quite tactical. So I guess having not raced as much recently, it'd be quite difficult compared to like, you haven't been able to, I guess, practice all the things that you sort of like been doing in training in a race scenario. Mm, absolutely. Like, um, for example, when we did, we traveled to Spain, uh, about three weeks ago and we did two competitions over there, just low key ones. And the first event, you know, we got off the plane, literally went straight to a regatta, um, a competition. And, you know, I felt like a computer that just had been overloaded, just trying to make decisions, the right ones, the right decisions and reacting quickly. I just was so out of my debt for some reason, which was usually my wheelhouse. Um, but, you know, then we, you know, we finished average that event, you know, took two weeks of training over there and, you know, tried to work on those things that we identified as weaknesses. And then we won that final event. So, and it felt normal. So um, I'm re we're really lucky that we went and did that. 
Um, but it's amazing just how you, we went over there really confident and we kind of got, you know, kick up the butt, just being like, no, no, mate, you got to <laughs> you got to work a bit harder because you know, it's not going to get given to you. So what are the kind of specifics that you've been uh, working on in this whole break? So is there anything that, like a weakness in your in your game, your and Lisa's game that's uh, you've tried to improve so you can come closer to winning gold than last time? Yeah, I guess what we've been trying to do is um, because we haven't been able to travel or visit the Olympic venue, we've been trying to find a location in Australia that emulates um, yeah. the same conditions that we'll find in Japan at our racing venue in, in, in Enoshima. Um, so we've been traveling a lot up the coast of uh, New South Wales and into Queensland uh, last winter, and we'll go back up there uh, once I get out of here. We'll head up there if we can um, to do a bit of training. Um, been working. The only thing we really can work on is our boat speed um, and our technical development because we don't have any other boats to compare to uh, to do any racing simulations. So it has been tri- quite tri- um, difficult, um, but. Yeah, I think you have to be so self-critical as well during this training period because you can't test if it's good or bad. So you've got to be really honest with yourself and say, how was how did that feel? Um, and be really um, analytical about the results. It's, it's been difficult, um, to be honest, but it's 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 just the, help with the, the hand we've been dealt. Yeah, I can imagine, especially as it would be really hard to sort of replicate the uh, the conditions that you'll be, uh, I guess, competing in in the Olympics. And what is the course mm-hmm. like in the Olympics? Or what are the conditions like at where you are competing? And I guess you've competed there before, and you've said it's a really great course. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, we're we're thinking it's been quite light conditions. It's a beautiful place. We're sa- we're going to sail at Enoshima, but we're thinking, you know, eight to nine knots, which is about ten kilometers an hour wind speed. Um, which is, you know, on the lower end of our racing sort of range. Um, but it can also be, you know, 25 knot subtly big waves, you know, like, you know, those subtly fronts that you get on the east coast of Australia, they can come through and they can be really tricky to sail. So, you know, it, it, we have spent probably about two weeks sailing there, maybe three weeks um, time in the previous years. But to put it in perspective, we spent six months in Rio um, getting used to the venue and, and conditions wow. and locations. So, um, whereas now we're coming all the teams, not just us, but you know, the whole world's going to be coming in there with little experience, um, with the little location intricacies. Yeah. Well, so what were you in Rio like six months before the games practicing in preparation of your event? Uh, no. So what we're doing is cause obviously the Olympic window is, um, in August. So in the, su- yeah. it's the summer Olympics. So the conditions, um, obviously like in Australia are very different from summer to winter, so what we do is yeah, with the four years prior, we probably spend two months each year oh, right. um, going to that location and living there in the apartment and, and getting used to the city. Um, you know, it's a bit like um, it's a bit like in, uh, Sydney is a good example. You know, in the summer you get those beautiful nor'easters. You know, quite a lot of breeze that kick in the afternoon and, and good wave states. And then you come into winter and then you get the big westerlies in the morning and then no wind in the afternoon. So it's it's um, a bit like that. It's like that everywhere around the world. It's just so different from summer to winter. So you really got to get down in that Olympic period and, and learn the conditions. Yeah, I was going to say it's a bit, bit like it's a bit like Melbourne. Instead of uh, changing from summer summer to winter in Melbourne, it just changes during the day. You get winter conditions <laughs> in the morning, and then it's bright, bright and sunny in two hours later. <laughs> that's, that's why I use Sydney as an example because Melbourne gets the four seasons in a day, so it's just bloody useless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in twenty sixteen, like. Silver, it's a, it's a bloody great result, something that you should be really proud of, I reckon, you, both of you. Um, but it's probably not what you're aiming for. You're probably aiming for gold, obviously aiming for gold this time around. So what do you reckon went wrong 
last time for you to not reach that ultimate glory? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we were leading most of the event in Rio. I mean, I, we were quite young, but it was our first Olympics. Um, and just that, like, learning that what pressure sort of does to, to your decision-making skills was quite interesting. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, Rio, it was, it's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, we, won, we lost by one point, you know, over a 100-point oh. series. So it's 1%. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be like a fingertip on the wall and swimming. Um, so it was, it was tough, you know, silver being our first Olympics, you kind of walk away going, well, that was pretty good. Um, but you know, to come so close to sweet, sweet gold and not quite get it, um, was tough, but in saying that it's, it's just makes us hungrier to, to get this, this Olympics. And it was the first, um, Olympics for the, just event as a whole, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so it was the first time that the NACA 17 was in the Olympics. So, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully a gold would be nice. But yeah, it's been a weird, it's been a weird few years, man. These last two years with COVID, <laughs> as 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 the world knows. So, um, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So gold this time around, and obviously, it's is is the field too similar to last time? And how much do you have to kind of scope out your competitors, and how much do you have to kind of uh, think about what they're going to do and adjust your plans based on that yeah i mean uh, that's a really good question the um the field is similar it's like some of the same people will be there um and some you know some new people into the class have come in and done really well as well um it's been interesting the italians have been quite good this last four years and um, the british as well um you know we've been pretty strong as well so you know i think those three nations including ourselves will be up probably at the front um, but this extra year has given some newcomers more time to sort of advance up the fleet. Um, so um, that a bit, you know, countries you wouldn't expect have gone home, had a year extra to prepare, and now they're up there and really competitive with the front bunch. Um, so, you know, it could, you could see a few dark horses. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, when was the last time that you um, competed against the people that you'll be competing against in the Olympic Games? Sorry if that's a bit of a word jumble. <laughs> No, it would be. Um, it would have been in Geelong in 2020. So that's quite that's quite a long time. So sort of that's about 16ish months now. Like, does that sort yeah. of make you think? It's like you said that it could be a lot of uh, dark horses win because you haven't you haven't raced against each other in so long. Like, you don't know who's in good form or. Yeah, exactly. But you know, yet at the end of the day, even if they're in good form and they're selling fast, you, you can't control their boat. You know, I've just got to control mine. So um, it might be interesting, and you might have to, you know keep an eye on them and try to take them, take them out legally. Like within the rules, you can actually inhibit your competitors and sound. How, how can you do that? <laughs> um, it's like, um, <laughs> it's hard to describe. It's um, <laughs> what our boat does is, is when the wind hits our sails, it leaves, you know, when you stand behind a building in, in a strong breeze and there's, there's no wind behind it, you hide behind, you know, something to stop the wind getting you. The sails do the same thing. So if you see a competitor behind you, you can position your boat to, to put them in a no wind spot. <laughs> and that slows them down. Uh, it's very common in the racing. It's not. A, it's not a. It's not a dark tactic or anything yeah. like that. It's literally part of the racing. Okay, how can I slow right. these guys down um, and stuff like that? So, awesome. yeah, you're trying to blanket their wind with your sails. Is there a way you can stop that, or what? How do you combat that? Really, um, it's a lot about positioning. I mean, it's, it's it's quite a detailed part of the sport, but it's all about you know where you put yourself in the fleet to make sure that no boats will do that to you. Um, 
So if you find yourself, if you have a bad start, it's a, I, I compare it to like, you know, car racing. If you have a bad start, it's really hard to get past all the, all the cars in front, you know, cause they can be defensive and position themselves with certain corners to stop, um, you know, you having a good run. So the start's critical. And then once you get off the line, it's all about positioning yourself so that you can't get put, put in that bad position. <laughs> yeah. And come, uh, uh, the Olympics and when you're competing, we're obviously all going to be cheering for you and Lisa back home uh, here in Australia. But who, who are you going to be your big rivals uh, for that gold medal st- mm. spot and the medal spots in general? Really? So the gold medalist from the the Rio Olympics and the Argentinian, he'll be there. Um, but he hasn't uh, he hasn't done very well this last four years, so I don't think he's too much of a threat. Uh, but I think the Italians and the British, um, you know, they they're they're pretty strong. The Danish as well. Um, and the Spanish, you know, mostly European countries, they seem to be in, in, I think, because they're all so close to each other, they can always catch up, do little regattas and learn off each other and work together. Where us being in Australia, we're quite isolated, um, especially now with, with this um, COVID situation, it's made it a bit worse. But, um, you know, it's all, it's all good. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. And we'll, we'll back you in over the uh, the Europeans. And now, okay, we'll fast forward a little bit. It's August now. You've uh, you've won your gold medal. What are your mm-hmm. plans now post-Olympics? Get on the beers like Daniel Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's, what's a beer of choice? What's a beer of choice? No, <laughs> uh, nah, I'm, I'm a bit more fancy. I'll probably have a whiskey or something. But I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm actually going to go straight – um, to Denmark from Japan. I won't come home, unfortunately, with a gold medal. I um, have to ship it. Um, <laughs> but I've got other commitments with Style GP um, straight afterwards. And this is not enough with, with the quarantine time. I'd get like two days at home before I had to be back on a plane. So, um, yeah, I'll probably be handing the gold medal to Lisa and asking her to deliver it to my fiance or to my mum. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I'll be over in Europe for another three months um, working. Yeah, that's it's pretty rough. Sounds like an absolutely hectic uh, schedule, really. But something I'm really interested in, sailing. It's a sport like no other that we've ever spoken about on this podcast. Like, What's the typical age for a sailor to retire from the competitive scene? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of the, the, the good things about our sport is you can do it till you're, you know, you're 80 um, and you can start as low as, low, low as four or five. So... Um, in terms of being in your peak, um, generally, like let's say it, the top of the sport, um, you, you probably want to be anywhere between 24, 20, 22 is, is kind of when you start getting into the top of the level and then you don't really fall out of it until you're, you know, mid thirties, maybe, maybe even later if you're really good and really dedicated. Um, but there's plenty of other, um, professional aspects to the sport. It's not just Olympic sailing. There's something called the ocean race, which is like sailing your boat around the world. There's races that, that literally go for two months around the world. There's America's cup, which is the oldest sporting trophy in the world. Um, they're on, you know, they're like multi $200 million campaigns every four years that you race for the old mug. Uh, there's South GP, you know, there's, there's heaps of different avenues and you can be up to 40, 40, 45 years old. And then you start to, come away from probably the peak level so probably 20 20 year sort of good career so is it difficult for you because like you said there's so many different types of um races and you know you've competed in so many different ties from america's cup sail gp and the nacra is it ever difficult to transition or do you feel like most of the skills are pretty applicable from boat to boat and team to team uh no that's not no i think it's 
for me anyway, I think I'm lucky um, that I've had lots of opportunities and with to sell with great people and then referred to other teams. Um, so I don't find it too hard. I really enjoy the, the team aspect. I'm definitely a social butterfly, um, you know, like to have, have um, be around the lads and, and the girls and, 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 you know, talk it out. I, I feel like I bring quite a positive attitude to the team environment. Sometimes it can get a bit, um, you know, when the team's down, I feel like I, I hopefully bring them up, you know, the energy um, guy. Yeah, I, I think I am. I'm quite enthusiastic and, um, you know, I love the sport and I think just it's important to stand back from it all and just realise, you know, you get to you get, you get to sail boats for a living. You know, it's pretty life's, life's pretty good. You know, I'm not in an office. Do most skippers have a bit of an attitude like that? Uh, no, everyone's different, you know. Um, I've sailed with blokes who, you know, they just need to be angry to do well, you know, and it works for them, you know. Um, oh, right. And then other people, you know, are probably too loose and they sort of, you know, a bit, you know, a bit California surfing. You're like, oh, yeah, she'll be right, you know, a bit floating <laughs> with the fairies. And then they just get, you know, they they can be really good too. But I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, you bring that sort of level of intensity, um, but also that sort of perspective is important, I think. Yeah, I think that's a, obviously an awesome approach to have. And on the on the sale to our GP team, I read an article recently that your cousin Lisa, she's uh, she's potentially gunning for the same position as you in the team. Yeah, yeah. So Lisa, <laughs> um, so it's pretty cool. The sports trying to you know bring more women to sailing, um, like most sports around the world are, which is a really cool initiative. And and so we had a trial for women to join, and we selected two: um, Nina Curtis and Lisa, my cousin Darman, and. Uh, and they did a trial in Bermuda and unfortunately Lisa didn't get the spot, but she gained a lot of experience out of it. So Nina will be traveling with the team for the next year and then she'll probably, yeah, end up probably taking one of the spots, most likely mine potentially to compete on board. So I'm trying to upskill her as much as I can to make sure that she, when she does jump on in my position, she does really well then make sure the team, you know, stays on top. So then what will your focus shift to if you're, like, you're I guess, not going to be competing with um, the GP team? Is there sort of mm-hmm. another sort of like event that you will be uh, putting your time into? Oh, there's, heap, there's heaps going on in sailing. I'll, um, I'll have to look around a bit. But to be honest, I really haven't thought too much about it. Um, just with the Olympics coming up, I'm just so focused on just getting that gold and then kind of going to worry about everything else afterwards. This might be my last Olympics. It might not. I might do another four. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> I, you know, the problem with the Olympics is that it takes, it takes, um, it's taxing. It takes everything from you. It's just, it, it requires dedication. Every meal you eat, every hour you're thinking about how you can improve yourself. Whereas a lot of other professionals saying it's kind of stop start. Once you get on the plane and fly, fly away from that venue, you can kind of relax. Um, but yeah, so who knows what's going to happen. Now, uh, it's kind of, we're, we're coming towards the end kind of, and of course in the start, uh, you talked about your encounter with pirates, so it kind of bookends it quite nicely. Have there been any experience experiences in your professional career that have been uh, really dangerous, obviously it's not pirates or something, but I don't know if you call them crashes in sailing? Yeah. Um, yeah, like we're, I mean, pretty lucky, like... <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty lucky I sail with good people. Um, so, like, our team is pretty good. Like, I've got really good sales on board. Um, so, when you're, when you're pretty good or, or when I'm sailing with good people, they avoid the crashes, you know. Usually seeing the blokes at the back of the fleet um, who do a lot of the bad crashes and lots of scary moments, um, like near collisions at, at, you know, 150 km an hour closing speeds. It's terrifying, like, pretty scary. Um, but yeah, with the professional sailing, yeah, I've been pretty lucky. I've, I mean, I've had, had a capsize in Bermuda, 
that was pretty scary. Um, uh, that yeah, that was loose. Um, but really, what happened? That we, what happened? Uh, oh, we were just sailing, um, doing some training, and with this little wing that uh, we we're experiment, experimenting with, and we're doing about 80, 90 kilometers an hour, and then we went into a roundup, and the boat just like flipped on its ear and then oh. um try to throw us all out in the boat and like the boats are wide like they're 50 foot high so you jump and um you're, you're 15 meters in the air and you you're not um in a seatbelt or anything and you're looking down and there's a carbon fiber wing with like pretty much knife razor blade looking at you trying to cut you in half Jesus. and if you fall out you got a bit on so luckily we all stayed in the boat and um but you know we've got like we we wear helmets we wear impact like kevlar impact vests we've got two knives on us we've got oxygen bottle ventilator um yeah we've got a rock climbing harness that tethers us in um it's pretty it's 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 not for the faint-hearted mate that's actually that's hectic like, like you said at the start that's that's gnarly like have you ever seen any really bad crashes because it, it, it is yeah. really is sailing classes as an extreme sport because hearing all that like it, it definitely be. sounds dangerous yeah well i mean if you know if you get a second try type into youtube just sailing crashes and you you'll see some pretty scary stuff like um you know but, bad stories of people like um you know losing fingers like cutting arteries like cutting off feet um you know we had a few deaths you know i think only one or two deaths in the last couple of years but it's not you know a lot of broken bones it's um it's not the problem is is the equipment around you is is what is dangerous and also you're on the ocean so if you flip you know you've got the boat on top of you are holding under the water um and then you have all these um you know, razor blades or foils going through the water trying to cut you if you fall off. So, um, yeah, it's pretty risky and you've got to be careful. But if you're, if you're smart and you train enough and you're, you know, not an idiot, <laughs> you should be right. <laughs> <laughs> but surely the, uh, like, kind of sailing authorities, that they'll call a big race off if the conditions are just too dangerous, right? Yeah, so there's, there's something called, like, wind limits. Um, if it's just too windy, um, they'll just say no racing. But... The problem is with like all professional sports, athletes are just pushing the limits harder and harder. Like you look in the surfing, for example, um, you know, those guys, they go the air and they're doing such intense jump tricks now and they're so good that their bodies can't keep up with them. So you've got like athletes like John John Florence who are so, so good, yet their bodies just can't keep up with their with their their level. So, you know, he, he can't, they're blowing out their knees and ankles and and it's a bit like that in sailing. Like we're just pushing the boats harder and harder within that limit. But, um, you know, at the end, something's got to give. Yeah, 100%. And it's actually funny that you raised surfing because that actually relates to our next question because I, during our research, we saw that if you had your uh, perfect day off, it would be spent surfing. So can you tell us a little bit about your love of surfing? And I think you're also an avid golfer. Yeah, yeah. So um, with the – yeah, I just – because I live on the northern beaches in Sydney. So I'm really fortunate to be just being a really cool part of the world um, and obviously on the beaches. So, yeah, I just love to go out and surf and it's a good way to stay fit but also relax. Um, and, yeah, I head, head, out, head out at Avalon quite a lot. And the surf I said, this last year is actually really good. Like the banks have been perfect. So um, I like the big sort of – I'm not a very good surfer, like just to add quickly. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can get up and go around and enjoy the wave and whatnot, but I really enjoy like the big wave surfing. Um, so like when it's gnarly paddling out and just getting that rush of adrenaline and fear, you know, um, so we'll see you down at shippies, <laughs> see you down at shippies down at Tassie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day. Um, yeah. Dad, get the jet ski. <laughs> uh, we're, 
uh, not that brave, but I might get there. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, that's hectic. And I think, I don't know if you feel it, but I feel like with surfing and also sailing, like when you're out on the water, do you just feel like that sort of connection with nature? Like you look around it and see like how beautiful like the places that you are, like the, like the cliff faces. And I think that's one of the best parts about being out on the water. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like meditative, um, in a way. Yeah. It's just quite, yeah, it's just so chilled and yeah, it's a good way to spend your afternoon or your morning. Like I know, I just, I love it. I always walk out, you know, I always walk out of the water feeling so refreshed. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something that I'll just get, I'll keep doing forever. Yeah. Uh, it just sounds awesome. And I know, uh, Lockie and I just totally agree with you. It's just so kind of meditative, therapeutic even, mm. but there's just one more for me. I know sailing is classed as a bit of, in quotation marks, a bit of an elitist sport. So is that mm. something that is kind of plays on your mind? You think about it much or is it just kind of, you think it is what it is really? In terms of elite sport, I mean, like, sort of, um, do you mean, like... Like, it's not able to be kind of accessed by everyone yeah, just for the yeah, upper class, really. Thing, yeah, that's one thing I hate. Like, I, I guess I hate about the sport in the sense that you do, unfortunately, you do need, you know, you do need, you do need, like, money to get into it initially. But in saying that, like, the costs are coming down um, and there's lots of really good programs around the world. But, yeah, I don't it's it's tricky like it's i don't want to scare away any parents or anything like it's not it's super excessive because you just resell your boats and make 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 a small loss but um i think that's what is the cool thing about things like star gp is they're trying to make it a bit more level playing field like all the boats are the same if you know it's all the national national pride of all the same sailors on that boat they're going to lots of different locations um, to get like people interested in the sport but yeah i can understand what you, that public um, perception of sailing for sure yeah that's great and i guess hopefully that more and more kids uh, give sailing a go in the future it's definitely an exciting sport and right after this in- interview i'm going to be jumping onto youtube and checking out sailing crashes <laughs> and we'll be watching closely at the olympics and now it's our final question before we get on to our famous final segment and it's just in regards to your life philosophy like, do you have any quote or words that you sort of live your life by yeah, um, I do actually. Um, is um, you know, everything's a test? Is one is probably the biggest one. So whenever like um, you know, as athletes, it's it's tricky. Like the public only sees you when things are going well, generally. Like when you're on the top of the podium or <laughs> got lifting the cup or whatever. But the reality is, is ninety nine percent is failure, and you're just striving for that one percent. So you know, when it comes to injuries or bad performances, you know, I always have to sort of sit down and remind myself that, you know, Jace, everything's just a test. Like it's just testing how bad you want it, you know, how, how bad you want that gold medal. So you're going to, you're going to mope or you're going to get up or get out there and train harder the next time. Um, and the second one's probably nothing is given, everything is earned. Like, so that's just another reminder for me that, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to come to you. You've got to, you got to go for it. Um, um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, I love that mentality. I love that attitude, mate. It's really good stuff. But now, as Lockie mentioned, it's time for our famous final segment, and I'll hit the music. Of course, it's the Where Do We Begin quiz. We love the little sound effects. Wow, that was, that was hectic. Holy mackerel. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. Um, I'm using yeah. holy mackerel, by the way. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're really pumped up. It's Of course, it's the Where Do We Begin quiz, our famous last segment, the segment that all our listeners know and love. So I've got five questions that I've uh, kind of gathered all about uh, their 
that are kind of loosely related uh, to you, Jason, and your career. Very, very loosely. So I'll be pitting yep. you, Jason, against you, Lockie, for five questions. Uh, your name is your buzzer, and uh, you ready to go? And I, yeah, yep. I should give you some warning, Jason. I'm in similar form to you in 2018, 2019. I've been dominating the quizzes lately. So just uh, just a warning. Mate, it sounds like this is a talk it up cup. Just bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, of course, it's actually, quickly, it's the Lachlan Gibbs Invitational. <laughs> um, of course, the quiz is sponsored by our Buy Me A Coffee page, which is buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin. But we'll start with question one, of course. So this is the closest to the pin question. Of course, the first half of your last name, water. So I've got a bit of a question about water. So closest to the pin. Per day, how much water does the average Australian household consume? Jason. Jason. 80 litres. 80 litres is incorrect, but it's closest to the pin. I'll give Lockie a shot. I'll go. I'll go. Um, does this include showers or by consume yeah. drink? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I, I get, I just means everything. All the water consumed yeah. in a household, like used. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Jason, do you want to change your answer? Having no, no, no. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm happy cool. with that. Sweet. I reckon it might be a bit more than. Well, how much would a shower use? You know what? I'll just go. I'll go 90 liters. Oh, you dog! You would. Like he's got the point. It's 190 liters. Very good stuff. <laughs> oh my Lockie, god! It's was, it was quite a way off. 190 liters is pretty insane. There was some other uh, article that said it was like 380 or something, but I thought that, and it was like 380 per person per day. But I thought that was just completely wrong. So I fact checked it. Turns out it's 190 per household per day on What's average in Australia. What's doing? Jesus. Yeah. Christ. It's nuts, isn't it? Anyway, uh, we'll move to question two. We've covered the first half of your last name, water. We'll cover the second half, house. So a question about houses. So Wait, did, did we not just cover house as well as you asked the uh, we, we water did. in the household? So we, technically we it's we already did. been covered half, so I'm just going to put true, it out we'll there. we'll cover it again. Uh, yes, so, that's, that's a fair point. Yeah, uh, yeah bang <laughs> Is on that there. a bonus point for picking that up? <laughs> No, no. I'll take away a point for being a smart ass if you don't put a sock in it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Question two. Uh, Which Australian state or territory capital has the lowest median property value? Median property value. Jason. Like the average house price, basically. Yeah, Jason. Yep, go for it, Jason. Northern Territory. Uh, I'll need the city or the, the capital. Oh, capital city. Yeah, the state. Yeah, I'll, I'll say Dar- state Darwin, Darwin, Darwin. Darwin's incorrect. I'm afraid. Lockie, want to have a shot? Uh, so wait, so is it capital cities around Australia? Is that yeah, what we're doing? Yeah, state or territory capital. Uh, which one has the lowest median property? Lockie, value? it'd be Canberra. Bang. Perth. The money there. Uh, and it's not Perth either. It's Hobart. Hobart. Yeah, Hobart. Hobart, uh, averaging $386,345, according to budgetdirect.com.au. change. Yeah, exactly. I think Sydney's was like 800000 and something, or yeah, yeah Sydney, 872000 uh, which is like 200000 higher than anything else, which is just nuts. Just, um, just get yeah. that out of the centre console of your Commodore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That effect did not uh, meant to play there. Anyway, move to question <laughs> three. Uh, so, question three is, uh, what's the score? It's it's one nil, Lockie. Yep. Question three. Which E.C. Seagar character has been in movies, TV shows, video games, and ads, but first appeared in a comic strip in 1929? Did you say Seagar? E.C. Seagar. 
Rocky, I'm going to go Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog is incorrect. Yeah, I've got no idea. Uh, Jason, do, do you want to ha- just have a crack? It, it's got something to do with you and your career. Uh, just remember that. Some loose connection. Comic strip character in 1929. Popeye. Popeye is absolutely correct. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Got the point. Wow. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. Holy uh, mackerel. Yeah. yeah. No, sorry. Just, I was just going for the drama effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never in doubt. Yeah. Never in doubt. Popeye, Jason? Yeah. Yeah, mate. Yeah, big guns yeah. chasing all the birds. It. Why not? We <laughs> <laughs> love, love the spinacher as well. Was, it, was he loosely based off you? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> anyway, move to question four. So, uh, your... Uh, medal race in the 2016 Olympics uh, happened on the 16th of August 2016. So I'm going to read out the lyrics to the song that was number one in Australia on that day, uh, the 16th of <laughs> August 2016. And uh, you guys can both buzz in whenever you want. Uh, but I- once I've got the advantage in, here because Jason wasn't in Australia at the time, so I should know this. Oh, they're very true. But it was a big, big mm. hit, I've got to say. And uh, yeah, once you get it wrong, you can't go again. So... Uh, yep, I'll start reading the lyrics. Here we go. Hey, I was doing just fine before I met you. I drink too much, and that's an issue, but I'm okay. Hey, you tell your friends it was nice to meet them, but I hope I never see them again. I know it breaks your heart. Move to the city in a broke-down car, and four years, no calls. Now you're looking pretty in a hotel bar. And I, I, I. Lockie, Lockie. Katy Perry, Eye of the Tiger. No, wait, not Eye of the Tiger. Tiger It's Katy Perry. (laughs) Incorrect, I'm afraid. I'll keep going. Uh, No, I, I, I can't stop. So, baby, pull me closer in the backseat of your Rover that I know you can't afford. Bite that tattoo on your shoulder. Pull the sheets right off the corner. Of the mattress. Oh, that is this, you stole. is this, uh, Jason? Is this Jason? a Carly Rae Jetson number, whatever? Call me maybe. Uh, yeah, that one. Call me maybe is <laughs> incorrect. I'm afraid. Uh, so both buzz yourselves out there. Uh, it was in the chorus. There was. Uh, they mentioned the word. It's closer by the Chain Smokers. Oh, uh, have you heard go. of that one? Oh, it, it, was, it was number one for like seven or eight weeks, I think, when I was having a look. Uh, it was a big, big hit. You haven't heard of it? Chain Smokers is in my uh, Spotify. I don't know about you, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> nah, nah, it's it doesn't really go good next to Bring Me the Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, it's what's the score? Is it? Uh, it's one all. So uh, going no, into oh, question, yeah, yeah. going into question five, all to play for. Uh, but of course, it's the Who Am I question. Our last question, as you usual. So I'm going to go down from five points all the way down to one point. Uh, with a series of clues all leading to, obviously, who I am. And, of course, mm. uh, it's got something to do with you and your career, some loose connection. So for five okay. points, uh, uh, am I correct in saying that you were born on the 8th of November, Jason? Yeah, well done. <laughs> oh, mate, just quick, quick, quick. Happy birthday for that, uh, for that in a couple months' time, Jason. Thanks, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so, you yes. got my credit card details as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, if they were on the Wikipedia page, best believe I'd be stepping them up. Uh, but anyway, yeah, cool. for, for five points, uh, I was born the 8th of November, 1966, in Johnston, Scotland. 
I'll move on to the four-point clue because uh, neither of you are going to want to go too early there, I imagine. Uh, for four points, my mother, Helen, and father, Gordon, moved us to Stratford-upon-Avon when I was nine. Despite working as a pot washer in a local Indian restaurant, I always wanted to be a Oh, footballer. yeah, uh, Jason. Gordon Jason? Ramsey. Gordon Jason's gone very, very early. He's taken a big risk. Is he correct? He's bang on the money. Oh, wow. Great, oh, great stuff. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's won at 5-1. That, that's very good. How did you pick up that? You knew he was a footballer? Uh, I watched I watched the thing and he was saying how he um, worked, his first place working was in an Indian restaurant and that's how he got all his, um, his palate and like, and stuff. To like, be honest, really I was good. also feeling, thinking Gordon Ramsay because I heard the name Gordon. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Well, that yeah, is very, very well done. Yeah, Richly yeah. deserved there, Jason. Uh, great stuff. Thank you. Congratulations, uh, yeah. mate. Congratulations. That words. won't be the only thing you're winning over the next couple months, I'm sure. Fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We're all uh, hoping for it, mate. And just quickly before we wrap up, as always, uh, I believe you're good to put a song of the week, nominate a song of the week that we can chuck up on mm. our Instagram story. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, I'm a big Triple J fan. Um, Don't tell us what been. it is yet. We'll just put it up uh, <laughs> when the episode comes out. We, we, we want to get the traction on the Instagram, you know, so get all our uh, listeners going to the Instagram account. Okay, sorry. So do you want the song name now? We don't want the song name now. Oh, you can give us the song name. We'll beep it out. So if you want, you can give it to us. <laughs> no, no, we'll no. Just... It's all good. It's all right. I'll save it. <laughs> okay. I'll save it. Perfect. Uh, anyway, check out our Instagram to see that uh, song of the week nomination from Jason at WDWB Pod on Instagram. But uh, Lockie, have you got anything else for him before we let him go? I'd just like to thank Jason and congratulate him on the other massive win in the, the quiz. Thanks, mate. It is. On, I think I could retire. I mean, yeah. I mean, that was it. That was the peak. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, you know what they say about the peak, though. Once you've hit it, it's just all downhill. True. Uh, I told you it's all about who performs under pressure. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So there we go. Yep. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was good fun. Cheers. To borrow the words of BT, wowee, I didn't realise sailing was such an extreme sport, you know, with the injuries and pirates boarding the uh, boarding yeah. the boat. That is, it's an incredible, incredible story, Jason. Thanks so much. Oh, yeah, really grateful for having you on again, Jason. Uh, yeah, really, really awesome episode, I reckon. Uh, just one of many in this Olympic series, which, of course, you can check out uh, in our kind of back catalogue. There's some really great stuff there. And Lockie, of course, we're not taking any grubby sponsor money in this uh, podcast series. What are we doing instead? Yeah, so we're just doing a buy me uh, coffee. So if you want to support us, you know, if you've got spare change, if your uh, mum gave you a little bit of extra pocket money this week, or you managed to uh, take those Coke bottles and uh, get, take them to the South Australia depot, uh, deport, sorry for the uh, the ten cents donation, and you get, you're a bit uh, flush with cash, you know, flick us a dollar, flick us fifty cents, you know, anything you can do would be awesome. Yeah, uh, it's at buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin? No capitals or lowercase. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin and you can check out our socials at WDWB pod uh, that's WDWB pod you can see Jason's song of the week and a whole lot of other great stuff on our YouTube channel especially where do we begin uh, some video content there which is great Facebook too where do we begin uh, five star review would be great as always Lockie anything else no I'd just like to thank uh, Jason for being on and of course our loyal loyal listeners and can't wait for another episode of the uh, the Olympic series out next week It'll be a cracker. See you next week, guys. Thanks for listening. See ya, and thanks again.